Hi, this is the K. Ray Reads to You podcast, and I am K. Ray, and today we are reading the last chapter of The Talking Parcel by Gerald Durrell. This is chapter 8, part 2. Chapter 8 was called The Battle for Castle Cockatrice. And today, it's a beautiful, warm, sunny day in San Diego, so again, I'm reading outdoors, so you'll hear more airplanes and bird noises and neighbor noises than usual. Okay, here we go, with Chapter 8, Part 2. At this there was such a roar of rage and fury, such a turmoil and such a shouting, it was like a clap of thunder. Wensleydale got so excited that he hit Winifred on the head with his gold-mounted cane by mistake. Toads waved their pikes with such anger that several weasels got black eyes, and four of the more sensitive fire-drakes fainted. It was a good five minutes before order was restored and Simon could make himself heard. Now, he said, you see why it is so important we should win. Yes, yes, shouted everyone. Very well, said Simon. Now I'd like you all to pay attention while I tell you how we're going to attack, and what each of you has to do. Everybody watched eagerly as he pushed the model of Castle Cockatrice into the middle of the table, where they could all see it. Now, this is a model of Castle Cockatrice, he said, pointing with his rod, and as you can see it is shaped rather like a wedding cake, with a hollow centre and four towers. The hollow centre is the great courtyard. Here around it is the moat, and here is the drawbridge, and the door into the castle. Is that clear to you all? Yes, yes, quite clear, said everyone. "'Well, this is how we shall attack,' said Simon. "'On the left and on the right of the castle will be two bands of griffins with five catapults apiece. "'The gold cannon-balls will be heated by Tabitha before firing, "'so that they will set fire to anything they land on, just to cause a nuisance. "'Now, as soon as the griffins fire the first salvo, a highly trained toad, "'a cousin of Ethelred's called Egbert, who's already in the castle, "'will cut the ropes that will bring the drawbridge down.' "'Unfortunately, he can't open the big doors on his own, "'but as soon as the drawbridge is down, "'the doors will be charged and broken down "'by repeated battering from my brother Peter's "'noble troop of unicorn cavalry. "'As soon as this is under way, two things will happen simultaneously. "'One, Miss Williamson Smith-Smith-Brown and her young ladies, "'accompanied by our good friend Oswald, "'will enter the moat and pull out the great plug. "'The water level will start to go down.' At that moment I, with a fleet of balloons driven by fire-drakes, and with baskets full of weasels, will take off, fly over the castle, and land in the great courtyard and on the battlements. Each weasel will be equipped with a fireproof <coughs> Each weasel will be equipped with fireproof clothing and a lavender water pistol. Their job is to fight and harry the cockatrices as much as possible. Once the water level has dropped in the moat and exposed the drains, two or three of them will be marked by Egbert with red flags. These are the drains that lead directly into the dungeons, where the great books are kept. Now, a big group consisting of weasels, accompanied by Penelope's terrifying toad brigade, will make their way up the drains, overpower the sentries, and then stand guard over the great books until the castle is taken. Now, is that all quite clear? Everyone said it was as clear as crystal. Right, said Simon. I want you all in your positions at exactly six o'clock tomorrow morning, and exactly at half-past six the griffins will fire the first salvo. That's all, and good luck. As they were leaving the great banqueting hall, Penelope went up to Ethelred. Ethelred, I think it was exceedingly brave of you to go to Castle Cockatrice like that, and organize everything so wonderfully, she said. Oh, it wasn't nothing, really, he said. I told you me mastery over disguises was one of me best things. "'Well, I think it was very clever of you,' said Penelope, "'and now I'm going to ask you a special favor. 
"'Anything, anything at all, miss,' said Ethelred earnestly. "'You just tell me, and I'll do it.' "'Promise?' asked Penelope. "'Yes, miss, of course,' said Ethelred. "'Well,' said Penelope, "'you're going up the drains with the terrifying toads, aren't you?' "'Yes, miss,' said Ethelred. "'I'm leading them like.' "'I want to come with you,' said Penelope. "'Here, no, hold on a minute, miss,' said Ethelred in a panic. "'That's not fair. I can't take you with me. Honest. "'If anything happened to you, I'd never forgive meself, and neither would anyone else.' "'A promise is a promise,' said Penelope. "'I'm not just going to sit here while everyone else is doing something. "'I must come with you, please, Ethelred. "'I'll wear one of those nice red uniforms and pile my hair up under the hat. "'I promise to do exactly what I'm told, and you'll protect me.' "'Blimey, miss,' said Ethelred miserably. "'If any of the others should hear of this, they'd skin me. Honest they would.' "'Then you'll do it,' cried Penelope. "'Well, I promised, didn't I?' said Ethelred. "'So I suppose I have to. "'Only please, miss, do take care, won't you? "'Because I won't be half dangerous.' "'I'll take great care,' Penelope promised. "'Parrot had chosen to be general overseer over the whole battle.' He was to fly around and around the castle, supervising the action generally and taking reports back to H.H., whose private balloon was to be tethered at a vantage point where he could see what was going on. At ten minutes to six the following morning, H.H.'s balloon slowly rose into the sky at the end of its long silken rope. H.H. was armed with a lavender-water pistol, just in case, a large packet of sandwiches, a bottle of moon-carrot ginger-beer, and Parrot's telescope. Parrot perched on the side of the basket, ready to fly off when the battle commenced. On the dot of six the griffins maneuvered their catapults into position, and a battalion of weasels placed neat piles of cannonballs by each one. Tabitha ran from pile to pile, heating them up with her breath until they glowed and almost melted. In the meantime the weasels, toads, mermaids, and Oswald had concealed themselves in the cork forest near the edge of the moat. Behind a small range of hills opposite the drawbridge, Peter had drawn up his cavalry, and Simon had all his balloons tethered. All was now in readiness, and they waited patiently, and a bit fearfully, for H.H. to give the signal. At half-past six precisely, H.H. leant out of his basket, and waved a large green flag, a flag with gold stripes, which was the flag of Mythologia, and the battle for Castle Cockatrice began. Eight griffins, using their long ladles, loaded the golden cannonballs into the catapults. Eight other griffins, at a signal from their leader, pressed the levers, and the catapults went off, shooting the golden cannonballs, glittering and whining, through the sky to crash into the battlements of the castle, where they lay smoldering, while the cockatrices rushed about with buckets of water, trying to put them out. After three salvos, the top part of the battlements were nearly in ruins, and, um, sorry, after three salvos, the top part of the battlements was nearly in ruins, and many parts were on fire, and the cockatrices were so disorganized that it was obvious they had been taken unawares. They did manage to drag several of their cannons into new positions, and fire a few rounds at the griffins, but their aim, unlike the griffins, was bad. As this was happening, the great drawbridge suddenly fell with a crash like thunder, and H.H.'s forces knew that Egbert the Toad had successfully cut the ropes. Immediately, Peter, in his handsome blue-and-gold uniform that Penelope had made specially for him, blew the charge on his trumpet. A hundred and fifty unicorns in lavender and white came over the brow of the hill, shoulder to shoulder. At first they trotted, and as they neared the wide drawbridge, Peter gave an order, and they formed a column of four. Another order, and they changed from a trot to a canter, and then from a canter to a gallop. 
nostrils wide, horns flashing in the rising sun, they galloped down toward the drawbridge. As the first wave galloped onto it, their hooves sounded like thunder on the wood, and then there was a splintering crash as their horns dug deeply into the great wooden door. Wave upon wave of unicorns thundered across the drawbridge and crashed into the door, which slowly but surely was starting to splinter and fall to pieces under this onslaught. Desperately, the cockatrices dragged some of their huge cauldrons of boiling oil to the edge of the battlements above the drawbridge and tipped them over. Parrot, circling just above, shouted a warning, and the unicorns leapt out of the way as the oil splashed and bubbled onto the drawbridge. Then a picked body of weasels, carrying buckets, ran onto the drawbridge and scattered sand and gravel over the oil, so that the unicorns would not slip. As the first wave of unicorns was galloping across the drawbridge, Oswald, carrying Desdemona and her young ladies, riding side-saddle on his back, made his way out of the cork forest and down to the moat. The cockatrices trained their cannon on him and fired again and again. Cannonballs thudded into the ground all around Oswald, hissing through the air and ploughing up the purple grass, but although he was a large target, neither he nor the mermaids were hit. They reached the moat safely and submerged beneath the water. As they did so, from behind the hills, Simon's aerial attack started. The transparent balloons, glittering all the colours of the rainbow with the fire drakes inside them, rose into the sky. Dangling beneath each was a basket full of infuriated weasels. The weasels had, in fact, drunk so much rue that Simon had had great difficulty preventing them from fighting each other as they waited for the signal to take off. As the balloons drifted over the battlements, furious cockatrices spat great gulps of flame at them, but they were too far away. The weasels retaliated by bursts from their lavender-water pistols, and they soon had the cockatrices on the battlements gasping and coughing and reeling about with streaming eyes. One of them, in fact, sneezed so hard that he fell into a cauldron of boiling oil. Gradually the balloons with their cheering cargo of weasels floated over the battlements and started to descend into the great courtyard. In the depths of the moat, meanwhile, Desdemona and the young ladies had found the great plug. It had been hard to find, because they only knew approximately where it was, and it was covered with sludge and slime, so they could not see it at first. They discovered it at last, and attached a rope to the ring in it, then with some difficulty attached the rope to Oswald. The problem was that when they tried to tie the rope around Oswald's middle, he, being exceedingly ticklish, giggled so much that he had to come up for air. In the end they fastened the rope around his neck. Then, with Oswald and all the mermaids pulling, they managed, at last, to get the great plug loose. There was a great gulp of muddy water, and H. H., watching through his telescope, saw a whirlpool form over the hole. There was a whoosh and a gurgle like a giant bath being emptied, and the water level in the moat started to go down rapidly. The cockatrices were thoroughly muddled by so many different attacks, but they still fought on grimly. Cannonballs from the griffins continued to thud into the battlements. The great doors of the castle had been almost cut to pieces by the unicorn's horns. Simon's balloons had just landed in the great courtyard, and the cockatrices were being attacked by bloodthirsty weasels with lavender-water pistols. Then the last of the water gurgled down, and the moat was bare and muddy. Sure enough, in the castle walls there could be seen numerous drains, like the one by which the children had entered the castle before. At the mouth of two of these hung red flags. This was the moment that Commander-in-Chief Ethelred had been waiting for. He led his fifty eager and indignant toads, and his bloodthirsty weasels, out of the wood and down to the moat. 
they were all armed with fireproof shields and lavender-water pistols. Penelope, looking very smart in her red uniform and feathered hat, ran beside him. "'Please, miss,' panted Ethelred as they scrambled down into the muddy moat and started to squelch their way across. "'Please, miss, stay close to me and don't do nothing dangerous.' "'All right, I promise,' said Penelope, her face flushed with excitement. "'Isn't this thrilling?' "'Cor blimey, no, it isn't,' said Ethelred, as a cannonball splashed into the mud beside them. "'It's too dangerous to be thrilling.' They reached the marked tunnels, and here Ethelred divided his forces into two, urging upon them the need for absolute silence, so that they could take the sentries by surprise, he sent the weasels up one drain, while he and Penelope led Penelope's terrifying toads up the other. To Penelope, scrambling along in the gloom behind Ethelred, it seemed the drain would never end. Then suddenly in front of them was an iron grill, and beyond it the corridor that led to the dungeons where the great books were hidden. Carefully they removed the grill, and the toads crept through into the corridor. A little farther up the corridor another grill had been removed, and the weasels were pouring through that. They joined forces with the toads, and led by Ethelred and Penelope, they made their way silently up the corridor. Peering around the corner, Penelope and Ethelred could see a group of about ten cockatrices, who had obviously been left to guard the books. They were grouped at the bottom of the stairs, arguing. It was plain that they did not think they would be attacked from the rear, for they were arguing as to whether or not they ought to go up and join the fight in the great courtyard. Eventually their leader decided that one of them would stay and set fire to the great books, if necessary, while the others went up and joined the fight. So they opened the door of the dungeon in which the great books were, and one cockatrice took up his stand by them, ready to blast them with flames. The rest of them clattered up the stairs to the courtyard. "'What are we going to do?' whispered Penelope. "'If we all rush down the corridor, he's going to see us, and set fire to the books.' "'Yes,' said Ethelred. "'Help me out of my uniform, miss, quick.' Penelope helped him out of his uniform, and then, before she could stop him, he hopped around the corner and down the corridor toward the dungeon, carrying his lavender-water pistol. "'Ere!' shouted Ethelred to the sentry. "'Ere, you, sentry! Where's all the others, then?' "'Don't come any closer,' warned the cockatrice, "'or I'll blast you with flame.' "'What's the matter with you, then?' asked Ethelred. "'I've just come to bring you and your chief an interesting bit of information I have. Look at this ear.' Ethelred waved his lavender-water pistol at the sentry. "'What's that?' asked the sentry suspiciously. "'I just found a weasel down one of them drains,' said Ethelred, "'and I hit him on the head with a rock. He was carrying one of these. These are the things what the weasels are knocking your lot out with up there. Deadly they are. I'm not quite sure how they work, though.' Ethelred had stopped just outside the dungeon door, and was fiddling with the pistol. "'Here, give it to me. I'll take it to the sergeant,' said the cockatrice, and he stepped away from the great books and into the corridor. As he did so, Ethelred squirted a jet of lavender water straight into his beak. Immediately the cockatrice reeled backward, gasping and coughing, sneezing out great sheets of flame. Penelope knew that this was the moment. She turned to the ranks of toads and weasels behind her and shouted, "'Charge!' and then ran down the corridor with the animals hopping and scuttling behind her. The cockatrice, seeing this mass of the enemy descending on him, turned to run, and immediately fifty jets of lavender water from the pistols of fifty toads hit him, and another fifty followed from the pistols of the weasels. The cockatrice uttered a strange gulping cry, twisted around several times, and fell unconscious on his beak. "'Quick!' said Ethelred. Ten of you weasels, ten of you toads, in there to guard them books!' 
As soon as they were safely in the dungeon, Ethelred locked them in and gave Penelope the key. "'Now you stay here, miss,' he panted. "'Me and the rest is going upstairs.' So saying, he led the rest of the weasels up the staircase and into the courtyard. Here the fight was almost over. Half suffocated by the lavender water, the sneezing cockatrices were being herded together by the triumphant weasels and tied into bundles. Seeing that he could do nothing very helpful, Ethelred left his weasels to help in tying up the cockatrices and went down to the dungeons again. At the bottom of the steps he stopped in horror. Penelope, standing outside the dungeon door, was unaware that the cockatrice had regained consciousness and was creeping toward her, its eyes alight with fury. Ethelred, who was unarmed, looked around desperately. Luckily, lying on the floor was a pike, which had been dropped by one of the toads. Picking it up, Ethelred took careful aim and hurled it, so that just as the cockatrice was going to blast Penelope with a sheet of flame, he was hit between the eyes by the pike and fell senseless to the floor. "'Oh, Ethelred, you saved my life!' said Penelope, shuddering as she looked down at the fallen cockatrice, smoke and flame dribbling from its nostrils. "'Think nothing of it, miss,' said Ethelred modestly. "'You saved my life, too, miss.' Now a great cheering broke out in the courtyard, and over the drawbridge rode H. H. on the King of the Unicorns. He passed under the battlements, scarred and battered by the griffin's barrage, through the tattered remains of the gate, split to bits by the unicorns, and into the courtyard where the sad groups of wheezing cockatrices were guarded by the weasels. He stopped in the centre of the courtyard, and from the dungeons came a procession of Penelope's terrifying toads, carrying between them the three great books of government on their gold and silver stands. At the sight of them, safe and sound, such a cheer went up that it could be heard all over Mythologia. Then the king of the unicorns, carrying H. H. with Parrot on his shoulder, set off toward the crystal caves. Penelope and the terrifying toads followed behind, carrying the great books, and behind them came all the unicorns, the griffins, Oswald and the mermaids, Tabitha proudly carrying her basket of eggs, and all the weasels, while above them flew balloons full of fire-drakes. With this triumphant procession the great books of government were returned to the crystal caves, and the safekeeping of Hengist, Hannibal, Junketberry. There is not very much more to tell. H. H. banished the cockatrices to a remote island in the Singing Sea, until they learnt to be respectable creatures again. Castle Cockatrice was to be repaired, and given to Oswald to start a restaurant in, which pleased him immensely. All Tabitha's eggs hatched out in due course, ensuring that there would always be dragons in Mythologia. The day the children were to leave, H. H. held a special farewell and thank-you lunch for them. This took place on the beach by the Singing Sea. Several great tables were arranged, stretching out into the water like piers or jetties, so that the sea creatures could sit at the sea end, and the land creatures could sit at the land end. It was a magnificent banquet cooked specially by Oswald, and many speeches were made and toasts drunk. At the end H. H. made a speech. "'Dear Penelope, Peter, and Simon,' he said, "'it is through your kindness and your intelligence and your bravery that Mythologia was saved. "'We are sorry to see you go, but you know that you will always be welcome to come here at any time in the future.' "'At this there were great cries of, "'Hear, hear!' "'And now,' continued H. H., "'from us all I'd like to present you with this gift.' "'H. H. handed a beautifully carved box to Penelope, "'and when she opened it she gasped. Inside were three necklaces for herself, 
one of pearls, one of rubies, and one of diamonds. There were also pearl, diamond, and ruby cufflinks and tie pins for Peter and Simon. Finally, there were three decorations the Order of the Cockatrice. These showed a fallen cockatrice and all the other creatures of Mythologia triumphant in the background. The decorations had been beautifully executed in minute precious stones, seed pearls, and gold and silver filigree work. The children were overwhelmed. Everyone, seeing their delight, burst into, For they are jolly good fellows, and Penelope found that her eyes were full of tears. Finally, they embraced all their friends, and last of all, H.H. H. Come back soon, he said. We shall be looking forward to it. We will, the children promised. We will. Then they mounted on three unicorns, and Ethelred and Parrot mounted on a fourth, to see them off, and they rode away, leaving all their friends happily continuing the party by the shore of the singing sea. After an hour's stiff gallop, they arrived at the same entrance by which they had entered Mythologia. Air, miss, whispered Ethelred as they dismounted, could I have a word in private with you? Of course, she said, and she followed him behind the rocks. I was wondering, miss, if you'd do something for me like, said Ethelred, blushing. Anything, Ethelred, you know that, said Penelope. Well, it's like this, said Ethelred, getting redder and redder. I was reading this ear story once about this ear toad, see, and then there was this er uh, princess, see, and she sort of kinda well, she kisses the toad like, and Gorlummy he turns into a handsome prince. So you want me to kiss you? asked Penelope. If you ain't a princess, I've never seen one, said Ethelred earnestly. So if you wouldn't mind, miss, I mean, just once, as a sort of experiment. Of course, said Penelope. So Ethelred closed his eyes tightly, and Penelope leant forward and kissed him. Gorlummy, said Ethelred, his eyes still closed. Is there any difference, miss? I'm afraid not, said Penelope. Two big tears squeezed out of Ethelred's eyes and slid slowly down his cheeks. And I'm very glad, said Penelope. Ethelred opened his eyes in astonishment. Glad, miss, he said. Why? I wouldn't like you as an awful handsome prince, said Penelope. I like you as the handsome, brave, and kind toad that you are. Cor, miss, you really mean that? asked Ethelred, beaming. Honest, cross your art and spit on your hand and hope to die? Honest, said Penelope, and to show that she meant it, she kissed him again. Come on, Penny, yelled Peter, or we'll never get home. They went to the mouth of the tunnel. There the two boys shook Parrot's claw, and Penelope kissed him on both sides of his beak. Goodbye, my kind, brave, dear friends, said Parrot. Please come back soon. Yes, as soon as possible, said Ethelred. We'll try to come back next year, said Penelope. We promise. We'll send you a message through Madame Hortense. The children took one last look at Mythologia with its beautiful blue forests of cork trees, the purple grass, the glint of the golden singing sea in the distance, and the jade green sky with its families of colored clouds. They looked once more at their friends, Ethelred and Parrot, and behind them the lavender and white unicorns nodding their heads in farewell. Then, with a final wave of their hands, Penelope, Peter, and Simon plunged into the tunnel that was to take them back to the everyday world. And that's the end of The Talking Parcel by Gerald Durrell, also published in a reprint as The Battle for Castle Cockatrice. And I hope you enjoyed it. And let's see, I am Kay Ray. You can visit my blog at www.kray.org and leave me a message there. 
and find other things that I've recorded. And let's see, I finished this recording in March of 2011 in San Diego, California. <laughs>